Welcome to BIV Today. I'm Tyler Orton. We are doing a special series this week examining the unicorns emerging from BC's tech ecosystem over the past year. These companies with billion-dollar-plus valuations used to be pretty hard to come by, but that's not true anymore. About a dozen have been popping up in BC since December 2020. And with us today to talk about his own company's unicorn journey and what comes next for it, it is Michael Gilbert. He is the founder and CEO of Vancouver-based ag tech firm Semios. Michael, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Glad to. Nice to see you. So we've been chatting over the years and very cool stuff that you guys are known for, which is, you know, all those sensors and monitoring of uh, crops here. And you guys were able to get, you know, $200 million raised in the course of about one year to reach this mega valuation that you have now. Um, What is it that's driving so much interest in Semios right now? Yeah, I think the um, I think the ag tech space in general is, is garnering a lot of attention. Uh, you know, we, we think about food security, we think about climate change, and uh, you know, there's a need now for more optimization in and sustainability in ag, and that will typically be be driven by tech. And uh, it's been one of the slower industries to get actually tech really engaged, and I think now it's picking up steam. And we just happened to be kind of at the forefront of that and had the most traction. So we've been getting more of the capital infusion as well. Who is maybe kind of the, the typical client or, or who is the market uh, for, you know, the, the sensors and, and the data that you guys are able to really specialize in? Yeah, what we're seeing right now in a lot of ag is um, a massive consolidation in the farming operations. So we're seeing... For example, it's not atypical to see large pension funds, sovereign funds buying up a lot of farms, family farms, and then hiring essentially a, an operation company to run those farms. And so you're seeing these bigger and bigger farming operations that are run by a kind of common group, and you get a lot of efficiencies there. And, and those uh, entities tend to be a lot more data-driven. And so they're going to want to see more data driving decisions across all their farms. And, uh, and that's just a better way to, to maximize profitability while also managing their sustainability footprint. So what is the kind of data that you guys are collecting and that these companies find so valuable? Yeah, we started with a lot of microclimate data. So, uh, you know, farms are, they're pretty complex biosystems, right? So they're, they're organisms that are living and breathing. And um, they're pretty, they respond a lot to the environment. And so what we see is every season is different. And even within a season, you might have a cold spring or a wet spring. And, and how those plants react or respond is critical to managing risk. And so we measure two of the most important measurements in ag tech are heat and water. They're the two biggest driving forces in natural systems. And so we monitor that on every acre Every 10 minutes, uh, we currently have over 3 million sensors reporting every 10 minutes, helping us manage billions of dollars worth of crops every every day. <laughs> That's cool. Because I, I think last time we chatted, uh, maybe sometime last year, I think there were uh, maybe uh, 2 million sensors. And now it's just all this growth is going on. So it, it's kind of cool to follow that. And maybe if we take a step back, though. Um, tell me, look, you're the, the founding CEO. You, you've been leading the company the whole way. Uh, what were the company's origins? Like, what made you want to pursue this? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those, as often the case, you have a bit of a convoluted path. Um, but I, my training, I'm a trained natural product chemist. So people with my, I did a PhD in, in this field, and people with my training, typically we take naturally occurring chemicals and turn them into things that are relevant to humans, such as, which is how most, for example, pharmaceutical drugs are developed. And most chemicals used in agriculture follow a similar path. And so I came into it from that space. I had looked at a, simply a class of chemicals called pheromones that uh, should have been used across every farm, but were used on less than 1% of the farms. And the challenge was there was not a good mechanism for determining when to apply them and how to apply them. So I started looking at ways that we can actually use naturally occurring chemicals more effectively in farming. And that's kind of how I brought it on. And now I essentially run a company of 300 people, most of whom are engineers, because engineering was required to solve what initially was a biological problem. Well, it's cool because you're, you're a chemist by trade, and then you had to get onto the business side of things. Uh, how was that journey for you? Just kind of, was it a little bit of like learning as you go? Uh, were there kind of mentors that you could tap into as the company you continued to develop? Yeah, a combination of those things. I think um, for, for scientists who make that transition to becoming an entrepreneur, um, well, you've already learned how to learn because that's essentially what a PhD is. You give up your 20s to learn how to learn. And uh, so I had that in spades. What, what I think is a bit more tricky is to being, I think, coachable. And that speaks to the mentorship. So I think if you are coachable and you're open to learning more and, and, and recognizing that you're not the, smarter, the smartest person in the room, especially when it comes to how do you set up your legal framework? How do you attract new investors? How do you approach a customer? These are all things I had no idea how to do. And so I had, was lucky to have a, a really good network of, uh, of mentors, uh, some of them who became early investors, who also came on board and kind of helped me navigate this entrepreneurship journey, which has been absolutely fantastic and so rewarding. You know, you talked about the team of uh, 300 uh, folks that you've built here. Uh, how is Vancouver developing as a hub for talent with an ag tech? Or does it even matter because it is, you know, say, specifically like engineers that you're recruiting that could be coming from different sectors? You know, what is it like developing your technology here in a, a hub like Vancouver that we're seeing a lot of technology growth right now? Yeah, I'd say the, the ag tech side is probably pretty minor. We don't actually have a big ag tech cluster here. There was a few, but not that many. There's actually not that many in Canada. Um, but Vancouver is definitely an amazing place to build a team because we are a combination of, of the Internet of Things, so IoT. So we, have, we need you know, embedded firmware engineers. We need hardware engineers. And then to do some of our, our, our big data and machine learning, we need folks like software developers, big data engineers, big data architects, and a lot of data scientists. And we're, we're pretty fortunate that uh, locally in the last few years, I think the, um, the government saw this opportunity and, and we have both at, at UBC and SFU, new kind of big data and data science programs that are generating more graduates. And, and those are the talents we need. And I think there's a there's a big opportunity for any community or ecosystem that builds on the, those that data, any kind of data play um, is going to have a lot of, of, uh, of opportunities going forward because it's where, where, where most industries are going. 
So raising $200 million in the span of just about one year, uh, <laughs> that's a big feat. Um, were there considerations you had to make? Like at a certain point where you're like, you know what, for us to really reach the growth, we need X amount of dollars. Like what was going on in the company to determine that uh, if, if you wanted to hit these goals ahead, that it would you know take a little bit more capital uh, and access to that capital? Yeah, there's, you know, there's um, a lot of the most successful companies out there in tech usually build a, often build a product and get really good at it. And then they start to build out more of a platform. And so some companies try to do the opposite, which I think is really tough. Like to start to say your platform is a, is a tough one. We built a strong product portfolio. And as we built that, we built the customer base. And the customers started coming to us and saying, listen, we like your product, your team's here, you have the innovation team. We like this other product over here, but there's just a small company. Can you find a way to bring this together for us? And so the customer's looking for us to both vet other technologies and find a way to bring the data together. And so we looked at that as an opportunity for both partnerships and acquisitions. And so I approached our board and said, I think there's an opportunity here for us to go raise some capital to invest in building out a platform on top of our product, um, looking at partnerships, looking at acquisitions. And in 2021, we actually made three major acquisitions, which has allowed us to further build out the platform, bring in more customers, and take us onto the global stage. Do you think that just with the current state of the pandemic, you know, uh, it, it was easier to find investors, you know, you could do Zoom chats, that was the expectation versus having to take flights around the globe? Or did that create like some more challenges that may be unexpected because you didn't have the opportunity to meet people face to face? I'd say like, um, you can you can increase the volume for sure. I, I would question the quality and not, not the quality of the investors, but the quality of the uh, the meetings, right? So um, we could, like you said, I could have, and I did have these Zoom marathons where I'd have like, you know, six meetings back to back with different investors from New York to, to, to San Francisco to Toronto. And it was back and forth and just back to back. And, and so volume wise, we can get a lot more meetings in. But, um, you know, when you take on investor, um, you're taking on essentially, this is a, it's going to be a long partnership. You're essentially uh, going to be tied to the hip for a while. And that, you know, that requires a certain amount of like making a connection and the face-to-face -face obviously helps a lot. And, and that was harder. It's harder to actually connect with people and understand, you know, do you want to be working together for the next three to five to seven years on a common goal or not? And will you see eye to eye? So that was a bit more difficult, I'd say, than, uh, than in the previous rounds where I would go around and, and do the actual roadshow and, uh, you know, and, and meet them in their offices. I'm curious, you know, a lot of investors have had this access to uh, uh, cheap capital with inflation rates uh, where they are over the course of the pandemic. It looks like that'll be changing a little bit. But do you think that there was an appetite from investors with all this money to put in there to look at like a, a, a location like Vancouver, which might not have been given full focus in previous years? Or did that play any part in kind of like this emergence that we've seen uh, of all of these unicorns in British Columbia just over the last year or so? Yeah, well, there's definitely going to be um, 
with with the pandemic and the way um, there was so much money flooded into the market, there was definitely a lot more capital chasing fewer opportunities. And I think what investors were looking for were companies who had at least some market traction. So that I think the big risk here is that you know post the pandemic, when money gets more expensive, uh, we're going to have a crunch here. We're going to have like companies who have not shown any kind of commercial traction are going to struggle. And I, I don't think investors want to be stuck behind the eight ball with that. So they're chasing fewer and fewer deals that had good traction. And one thing that that Canada and BC and certainly Vancouver are known for, we, we have a knack for building out innovative companies and, and, and getting a quick go-to-market strategy and getting it proven pretty fast. Where we've often struggled is actually taking that to the next level and scaling it. But getting companies to market, we're highly innovative and uh, we know how to, how to build products and companies. And so I think that's why we've actually been able to secure more capital. Now the big test will be over the next few years, uh, do these companies have, have staying power? And can we build you know, multinational, you know, industry-leading companies that stay and have their base in Vancouver? Well, if we're talking about what's to come next for the company, like what are some of the goals ahead, you know, maybe in the short term as well as the long term for kind of maintaining this growth trajectory that you're on and, and reaching those new markets? Yeah, we're working on two fronts. We're working on uh, addressing more of the pain points of our customers. Um, so our customers, like in many industries, they're looking for simplification of of their their workflow. So how do you bring more decisions together, especially when they're related? You know, for our customers, if they're going to irrigate their properties, well, that impacts when they can bring a, a rig in this field. So th they're all connected. So the, the farmers want to bring it together. So we'll be doing a lot more over the next few years in terms of bringing more of the tools and data sets together, whether it's through partnerships or acquisitions. And then we're also looking at, you know, international growth. So we, we've acquired a company that has a massive footprint in, in Australia and New Zealand. So those are now our customers. And we're growing organically in Europe. So we're now in Spain, France, Germany, and Italy. And that market's growing for us. So it's going on, on all sides. And, uh, but that's a good thing because we have an amazing opportunity and the market is, is ready for us. So we have to capitalize on that. Because you can never wait too long because someone will come and, and catch up to you pretty fast. I have to imagine on top of mind for many uh, organizations and entities is climate change. And I, do you anticipate that is going to be one of the big factors moving forward in uh, just the demand for what you guys specialize in? For sure. So there's, I think there will be, um, climate change is definitely in people's minds. And also, I think any aspect of sustainability. Uh, I think, you know, climate change is obviously related to just how many people are on this planet and how we treat the planet. But that goes to more than just climate change. It has to do with like the quality of our water and uh, the quality of our foods and the quality of the air. There's lots of aspects there that are going to come to the forefront, given how fast population is growing and how much we're urbanizing. So, um, you know, we do we do a lot in terms of helping farming uh, operations become more sustainable and, and help protect precious resources like water, groundwater, air. And I think you're going to see a lot of investors and we're seeing now, um, you know, BlackRock talked about 
um, how I think the next thousand unicorns will be mainly focused on sustainability. Um, I think we're going to see more of that coming, and and rightfully so. I think it's time. And uh, companies who don't have that that triple bottom line in mind, who are thinking about their footprint, are not going to survive much longer in this in this environment. I'll leave you off with this, but uh, how does it feel to be part of this stable of unicorns to emerge from BC all within about a year's time? Is it kind of like, hey, it's a certain amount of validation or it's like, you know, I got to put my head down and just uh, concentrate on my company here? Yeah, it's good to be in, in company. It's good to see, um, I think, the the community in, in BC growing. You know, we need to have more talent attracted here. Right? If you only have, if there's only a one trick pony, it's risky to to move to a community where that only has one company that you can work for. And so I think it's good to have this blend of companies. I think it's good for all of us. It's good for the community. And, and frankly, for me personally, it's definitely more, it's honestly, it's more pressure. I mean, now that we're here, it's the next step. And so we have to grow fast. we got to keep going and uh, nose down and keep rocking. Well, excellent. Hey, Michael, it's such a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I, I'm, I've been following Semios for years, and it's going to be cool to cover all the growth going forward with the company as well. Thank you. Good talking to you. That is Michael Gilbert. He is a founder and CEO of Semios, and that is it for the show today. You can go to BIV.com for more stories, videos, interviews over there. In the meantime, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in. I'm Tyler Orton. Tyler Orton.